0: Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. You see, in the world around us, we're inundated with a multitude of voices competing for our attention. There are all kinds of things that are pulling upon our passions. They're trying to dictate to us how we should live. We're flooded with powerful influences that are pulling upon the passions of our heart. And all of them are seeking to answer the question of how do we find success in life? And how do we live according to purpose? How do we live according to fulfillment? And in the midst of the chaos of many voices, the noise that surrounds our life, The word of God rings true, and the witness of the Holy Spirit speaks loud and clear to us. You see, in the kingdom, success is defined by two words, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Faithfulness and fruitfulness are the metrics by which we measure success in the kingdom of God. Right in the very beginning, the first mandate, the first command that was given to man after he became a living being was be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And we were wired by the voice of God, by the commandment of God right from the very beginning to be fruitful. But what's the story at the beginning At the very end of the age, on the last day, we want to stand before our master and to hear the words, well done, good, and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. Enter into the rest of God. And within our lives as believers, between the mandate for fruitfulness And what we want to end up, the bookend, at the end of the age of faithfulness, there is a lot of movement in the kingdom of God. To fulfill the mandate and to be able to be found faithful at the end, there is a need for increase. There is a need for advancement. There is a need for growth. That These words are ones that connect us to God's ultimate purposes for how he created us and how he destined us to be at the end. right at the beginning when God gave the mandate, the commandment to be fruitful and to multiply. Before he spoke the commandment, it says that God blessed man. And I was reading this recently, and I began to see a pattern here. Before the commandment of the Lord came to mankind, It was preceded by the blessing of God. Now, as Clive said, I'm a Messianic Jew, come from a a, a Jewish heritage and a long line. My father was the first believer in our family line as far back as we know. Rabbis and cantors. And the idea of blessing is not just something that's used at the end of an email or something nice to say amongst believers. But the idea of blessing is a tangible impartation of the heart of the father to their sons. And so every Friday night on the air of Shabbat meal, there's a part where as a a child growing up, my dad would lay his hands on my head and upon my brothers and my sisters, and he would speak blessing. And those words of blessing were ones that would speak towards our identity, but also towards our destiny. They would prophesy of what we would become and what we will be of who we are. Every Shabbat meal coming under the blessing of my dad and the other times during the week when that would take place were forming me in my identity, but they were also framing my destiny. And it's the same thing with mankind at the very beginning. Before Adam did anything, before he was given the mandate from God to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, the Lord blessed him. You know, we've probably heard it said before that the Lord requires obedience and it's obedience that brings the blessing. And this is true. This is a right saying. But there's a reality that goes before that. Our obedience is motivated by love for God as we understand His character and nature that before we do anything, we're blessed. So I began to look at this and look at the pattern of it. And I realized throughout the book of Genesis, through all the major accounts in the book of Genesis, it was the exact same pattern. Blessed and then given a mandate for Adam. Okay, that's good before the fall. That's be good before sin entered the earth. But you see, the blessing of God isn't dependent upon our goodness. It's dependent on the very nature of God himself. And we coming us coming into a line with the very nature of God. And so it was with Adam, and then it was with Noah. After the flood, the exact same thing. Be, he blessed him, and then he spoke to him, be fruitful and multiply. And then it was with Abraham. And it was reiterated in Abraham's life, both in the promise, and then when God made covenant with him, and then when it was ratified, when he offered Isaac before him as a sacrifice. The pattern continues on throughout the book of Genesis amongst the patriarchs. From Abraham to Isaac. And this pattern is that God blesses and then he commands increase. The pattern continues from the patriarchs, but then the patriarchs under Isaac and Jacob, they begin to bless their own sons according to the pattern that's been expressed before them. God to man. Now it's fathers to sons. And it happens Jacob for his sons, and then Jacob for his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and then to Joseph, and it passes on until Israel becomes a nation, and then we move on, and then the Lord speaks, he says, I'm going to raise up a tribe within the nation of Israel, and they're going to be priests, and their job is to bless the people, and to put the name of the Lord upon the people, and at the same time, the priest released the blessing of heaven to the nation." And then so that they would be equipped to walk in what God had destined for them to do. And when I say this morning, with this mandate for fruitfulness, with this commandment for increase and for growth, for exponential growth in our lives, it is preceded by the blessing of God. It is a gift of His grace out of His character and nature. We see it again before Jesus goes into His earthly ministry The voice from heaven that breaks open the skies. The voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son. And the Father blessed His Son before He did a miracle. Before He healed the sick. Before He preached the good news. Before He lived out the long-awaited anticipation of who the Messiah would be for Israel and for the nations. Often, we are compelled by this commandment for fruitfulness. For growth, for increase, for advance, to think that it's what we have to do for God, but he is the originator. He's the one who initiates. He's the one who starts it in the very beginning. And we need to be released from performance mentality by which we have to perform to earn God's favor and to earn his blessing. His blessing is there at the beginning. The reality of it is that at the beginning, we are blessed. When he commands us, we are blessed. When we obey, we are blessed again. We're blessed at the beginning of the process, the end of the process, and everything in between because it's based on the character and nature of a good father. You know, when I come under that Shabbat blessing from my, from my dad, when I hear even to this day, I'm 40 years old, and it's still when he speaks words, he says, Matt, I'm proud of you. You're living out the things that your mother and I saw for your life. In those moments, I feel like I can do anything. How much more, if that's how our earthly father is to us, is our father in heaven who is perfect. And I want us to be inspired this morning for advance. I want us to be inspired for multiplication, for growth, for, for, for um, increase, and for acceleration. But the foundation of it must be first that it comes out of what God initiates out of his never-changing character as a good father. The The realization of this on the inside is enough to bring transformation that will lead us into a place of freedom where we will do mighty exploits for our God. Mighty exploits. And the Lord has mighty exploits for us. Thank you, Father. You see, these two ways that we define success according to fruitfulness and faithfulness, they have to do with both interior and exterior aspects of our life. Faithfulness is the unseen. It's how we live when no one's looking. It's how we live our interior life with God. At the end of the day, that's what he's interested in. At the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the call upon our life, he's commanded fruitfulness from us. And in between, there is growth. We move from strength to strength and glory to glory. There's acceleration. There's forward movement. I pray more than the scriptures that we read this morning, more than the words that I speak in English, that the word of God would come and it would accelerate and it would initiate movement inside of us. Just as in the dream when we came to a place where we couldn't do anything, there were obstacles too big for us, and we knew we were moving on, but God had to do something. It's in that moment that he comes with his word to level mountains and to make a way for us to advance. Some of you this morning, I believe, need to hear this word of hope that the Lord, the Lord, our God, is mighty and he's ready to move and to work on your behalf. And his desire in bringing down the mountains is because it's for forward movement that he wants in our lives. It's for advance. We are privileged to be born into this day and into this generation. There's no generation like it before. As we advance in the calendar of God, as we advance in the kingdom of God, we are privileged to live for such a time as this. But the spirit of the world, the influences of the world are lulling us to sleep. Instead of a spiritual violence to advance and to press forward, there is apathy and complacency that it, uh, to silence and to be, make still the very movement of God within us. But we say like Paul said in Him we live and we move and we have our being. In between life and existence itself is movement. It's the very nature of the Spirit of God from the moment that he breathed into mankind. Cells came alive. There was movement down at the smallest level in our life. And man got up from a face-to-face encounter with God and he began to live out the dream of God for his life. Sometimes we have defined faithfulness in such a way We received a word from the Lord. We received a promise, and we kind of put it on the back burner. We say, well, that's for another time. I don't see how it's going to work out. And we define faithfulness by kind of letting go of it, just putting it on the shelf. But let us not be deceived. Let us not make an excuse of a false definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness and fruitfulness must be intertwined in our life. In this parable of the talents, where we find the master saying, well done, good and faithful servant, it was because they took what the master had given and they brought increase to it. Faithfulness is marked by fruitfulness in our life. But it's God who initiates and it's God who empowers and we enter into his movement together with him. Father, we thank you that the nature of your kingdom is increased. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And he also spoke and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And a little leaven brings increase to the whole. The deposit, when he announced the kingdom of heaven and he announced that it's within the life of the believers, it meant that what was small at the beginning was going to grow. And it works from the inside out. And when he announced the kingdom of heaven to them and he said it's within them and and then he compared it to leaven, he was saying that it's going to grow and it's going to be interior. It's going to be that faithfulness in your life, but it's not going to just stay there. It's going to bear fruit out of your life. There's going to be an increase. There's going to be a growth just like leaven. Leaven's the whole. The spiritual realities of multiplication, experiential, ex- exponential growth, acceleration, momentum, and movement. These are ours. These are our words that should be our vocabulary. Right now, where we're living in Cyprus, we're surrounded by nations that are in turmoil, that are turned upside down. There, there's a spirit to bring fear and intimidation to the people of God. But this is our finest hour. This is what is spoken of that is the time of the harvest, and it gets harder, but the light shines brighter in the midst of the darkness. This is the time where we're seeing it not just in the Near East, but we're seeing it just across the waters. We're seeing it in our cities and in our towns. But we were born for this kind of time. We were born to be awakened to God's purposes, and this time we must grow. We must advance. We must wa- move in the acceleration and the movement, the momentum of God in our lives. And he always works these things of the kingdom in the lives of faithful men and women. And so, Father, we say today, here we are. Here we are, Father. Work it in our life. Find faithful men and women in this place. Thank you, Father. I want us to look and we can open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going we're gonna to start in Acts chapter 6 here. And we're just going to look at some of these same themes in the early chapters of the book of Acts. It's exhilarating to read the movement of God in the first century as recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. So we're going to get to Acts chapter 6, but... Just to set the stage there, I just want to highlight this movement, this growth, this acceleration that's taking place in the preceding chapters. In Acts chapter 1, we have the risen and resurrected Jesus, and he comes to his disciples, and he commands them, and he gives them that mandate for what they're supposed to do. And but before that, for 40 days, the resurrected Lord is meeting with his disciples, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. He teaches them about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom and what it's like. And in those 40 days, they had already walked with him for three years. But in those 40 days, there was a deposit of the resurrected Lord, where the one who said, now all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Remember before when he spoke to disciples, it's not the time yet. But he's made the statement already now as a resurrected Lord. He said, all authority has been given to me, and so I give to you. And he begins to teach them the ways of the kingdom. Forty days immersed in this reality as the resurrected Jesus, as the risen Lord. And he speaks to them, and he teaches them the ways of the kingdom. And he tells them, and he gives them the, this commission in Acts 1.8. says, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the very uttermost parts of the world. And he says, now go to Jerusalem, as he had previously spoken to them, and wait upon this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's a momentum after these 40 days of kingdom teaching that's coming where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will come upon them that will lead to a movement of exponential growth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And can you feel the acceleration that's beginning to happen in Acts 1? And so in Acts 2, we find that they go there, and sure enough, as they're waiting, as, as the Lord had commanded them in the upper room, they're there gathered together, and the Spirit of God is poured out upon them. And they begin to speak in tongues. And it begins to not just happen within the room with the fire over their heads, but it spills out of the room that they're gathered in. It's a time of the feast there. It's the time of Shavuot, and there's Jewish people from every nation under heaven. They're gathered around there, and they hear the wonders of God being spoken in their own language. And this is first miracle that takes place as those Jews that are gathered for the feast begin to hear the gospel proclaimed to them. And they begin to hear the wonders of God being proclaimed to them. And and there in Acts 2, Peter, he preaches as they're gathered together, as the sign and wonder takes place. And at the end of his preaching, 3,000 souls are added to the kingdom. They're initiated into a new lifestyle as a body of believers under the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, we see them as a community of faith in Acts 2.42, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They had all things in common. They began to sell what they have and give for the needs of all. They were in the homes. They were in temple. They were breaking bread together. They have generosity of heart. And day by day, those were being added to them who were saved. Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3. In Acts 3, we have the first miracle. As Peter and John go to the temple to pray, there's the lame beggar for 40 years. that has been laid outside the temple gate. Beautiful. And Peter speaks to him and he releases the power that they're walking in and immediately is assigned to those that are going into the temple. He rises up. Peter pulls him up and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be healed. He stands to his feet. The man goes walking and leaping and he goes into the temple. They go with him and the crowds, it says, run. They run with the healed man to Solomon's porch. A place of theological discourse, a place to talk about the word of God. And Peter stands up and explains what has come to them. And then they increase and 5,000 are added. In Acts 4, we see that. This stirring in the temple leads them to come before the high priest. And the high priest says, you've got to stop speaking in this name. You've got to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And they say, we can submit to your authority, but not in this. We cannot but speak the name of our Savior. And they go and they meet with the disciples and they pray for boldness because they're forbid to speak the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit falls again. And the building itself begins to shake and they're filled with boldness and they go out from that place preaching. And we have another description of what their life, great power in the testimony of the resurrection. No one had any needs. They had everything in common, one with another. We continue to Acts chapter 5 and there's the story of Ananias and Sapphira and them lying to the Holy Spirit and falling dead. There's signs and wonders, many signs and wonders to be done. Multitudes are added to the kingdom. All the sick that are brought are healed. Their Demons are cast out, people are delivered, and even as they come and lay them, just that Peter's shadow might go across them. And they're healed. And we come to Acts chapter 6. And here in Acts 6, as they are Take, c- taking care of the apostles are giving care not only of the prayers and the Word of God, but also to the meeting the physical needs of the people. They say, well, choose among yourself seven faithful men who have a good reputation or full of the Holy Spirit to serve the tables, the practical needs of the people, so that we can give ourselves to prayer and to the teaching of the Word of God. And in this, there are seven men chosen. The first two, one's name is Stephen, and the next one's name is Philip. And the chapters that come after after Acts 6, the next few chapters begin to tell the story of Stephen and Philip. And the acceleration, the forward movement continues and it increases even in greater measure. I want to talk to us this morning from the story of Philip. How there's increase and in acceleration that comes after this man. And so they chose Stephen And they chose Philip, and then Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Amazing. Just in previous times, it's the high priest that was forbidding them to speak the name of Jesus. And now many of the priests are coming to the faith. Stephen rises up, and we have his story. And then in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Let's read there. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Does this sound familiar to us, this geography? I grew up hearing my dad say that because the apostles failed to live out the mandate of Acts 1.8, taking the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the Lord allowed Acts 8.1, persecution to arise, that would press them into the movement of what God has. Let me tell you, the, alongside of the suffering that we see in many parts of the earth, the movement of the kingdom is advancing. Right in the middle of great suffering, right in the middle of this, of this clash of kingdoms, there is advance for the gospel. We are in relationship and friendship with people throughout the Muslim world. And we constantly hear the flood of testimonies that's greater than the news headlines. And we must be informed as a kingdom people of the advance of the kingdom of God so that our hearts do not fail us for fear and that we do not come under intimidation, but rather we recognize that God is on the move at the same time. Darkness covers the earth, but the Lord will arise. And his glory will be seen upon you. And so he allows this persecution so that they fulfill, they move into alignment with the movement from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And they're scattered except for the apostles there. So Philip, one of the deacons, the guys who's serving the tables there so that the apostles are giving themselves to teaching and to prayer, he goes, he's sent scattered out and he goes to Samaria. Verse 4, and now those who scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. Up to this point, we're reading about 3,000, 5,000, multitudes, many. But here, as they step into the movement of God from Jerusalem outwards, a whole city comes under the joy of the Lord as everyone is being healed, as everyone is being saved. This is the picture of revival that our hearts long for. I've been able, growing up in, in ministry, growing up in missions, to experience and taste of moves of God around the earth that have have completely changed my life and have grabbed a hold of my life that I cannot be settled for anything less. But I want to say that what we see in Samaria here is a city filled with the joy of God because the kingdom has come to that city. They're filled with joy because of the signs and wonders and the preaching that's backed up with signs and wonders and joy fills the city. This was a deacon. This is a man assigned to serve tables so the apostles could pray and teach the word of God. Folks, you're all enlisted. We're all enlisted. God is raising up an army in the earth that will move with forward movement, with advance and with acceleration. Let's sign up. Let's be a part of what it is as we live out of a place of faithfulness before him in the little things, in the unseen things, in in our interior life, that fruitfulness would have its way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And so Philip's here, and it's citywide revival. Whoa! It's happening. It goes on to tell a story about Simon. We're going to skip over that to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Not exactly the message you want to hear in the midst of citywide revival. I have an assignment for you. It's on the road to Gaza. I mean, most people aren't wanting to get that call right now. Historically, it wasn't a great place for Jewish people. Even back to the time of David. I want you to go from this Samaritan city that's experiencing revival, the whole city, And I want you to go to the desert. I want you to go to the desert place. Rise up and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, just pay attention to that. It's the same today in Israel. The roads that lead down between Judea and going down to Gaza, it's desert. It's wilderness going down in that direction towards the coast of Israel, the southern coast of Israel. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kandachi, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This is an amazing thing that's going on here. You know, the gospel is supposed to go to the ends of the earth, but there is an Ethiopian governmental Minister of Finance, I don't know what you call it in the UK, but the, the, in charge of the treasury of the government. And this Minister of Finance comes to worship and to bring an offering to Jerusalem. You see, there is an old and ancient connection between Ethiopia and Israel. And even on a governmental level, there was offerings being brought back and forth. There was an openness And so Philip left a citywide revival to have a meeting with a government official, one man in the desert. And and he was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, government officials sent out as envoys have the best of the best. So whatever the equivalent is today in a vehicle, it was fast. It was a good ride. It was a bumpy road, and he was seated so that he could, good suspension, he was reading the scrolls, right? And then the Spirit of God speaks to Philip. He says, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. I love this. I love this. This whole story is supernatural. What's taking place. You see, there's a precedent for running under the Spirit of God. This is the guy who's come out of revival. He's come out of the city under the joy of the Lord, healing, deliverance, salvation for the whole city. And the Lord says, I have an appointment for you. And there's this guy, and he's going down the desert road, an official in the best of the best chariots as that official. And he says, go and overtake him. There was a precedent for that. It was the prophet Elijah after he confronted the prophets of Baal. And then it says Ahab went down from Carmel mountain range. He went down into the valley and then Elijah girded up his loins. That's biblical, biblical language. He got his workout clothes on. He got ready so that he could run. You see, there's an acceleration that's taking place from Jerusalem to Samaria, and then from Samaria, and it doesn't look like what it should, but that's the way of the kingdom. It doesn't always appear to be what it is. But Philip is activated into a new anointing, into a new strength. And he goes and he has an appointment with a government official, and the Spirit of God says, overtake him. Go and catch up with him. And so like Elijah would gird his loins to be able to run and overtake Ahab, the king's chariot, so Philip is operating under a new anointing, and he runs and he overtakes He runs and meets the chariot. Now, I don't know if you read the scriptures like I do, but I often see humor in it. And I don't know if it's like Holy Bible and we open it, we think, oh, we can't laugh. But I mean, if you're playing out the story in your mind as it's going along, he's running under the spirit of God and it says that he's there. And it doesn't say that he stopped at that moment. They start a conversation. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. So Philip's like, he's running along. Hey, what are you reading there? He says, oh, I'm reading this scroll. And he begins to describe the passage that he's reading. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? (laughs) Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There is a kind of acceleration of movement that happens under the impetus of the Spirit of God. Years ago, I was in the nation of Ethiopia. Here I am, a Messianic Jewish believer. I'm in that nation. Since then, I've been there 25 times following up on the, the ministry that my dad started there, working with Ethiopian Jews, helping them in returning to the land, taking care for their needs, preaching to, to them and ministering in the nation. And I was in a particular service and something strange began to happen to me. As the Spirit of God was moving in that service, I was, couldn't stop moving my feet. And as the Spirit of God's moving, I just found myself like doing that number. Now, I'm not a runner. I'm not exactly built like a runner. Okay, in high school, I was in track and field. I threw shot put and discus. When the runners were practicing their running, I was lifting weights. But in this time, I just began to run in place like that. I'm also not a Pentecostal, a Messianic Jewish. I grew up full gospel, believing in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but that wasn't part of my cultural background when the Spirit of the Lord comes glory. <laughs> it just wasn't this situation, but the spirit began to do a work inside of me, and I could not control it, and it was one meeting, and the whole time, I'm just like, oh, Lord, what's going on here, and I just couldn't stop moving my feet like that. Went into the next meeting. It only increased. I could feel fire in my feet, till it got to the point where I couldn't stay in the building, and I just... Phew! took off and went out of the compound where the church was and began to run down the street. Now in Ethiopia, if you start running, you'll have a multitude of kids around you in an instant because it's a nation of runners in the natural. Amazing, everywhere you go you see people training and running. They're they're champion long distance runners. And there's actually, I believe, there was an impartation from Philip running after the Spirit when he led this guy to the Lord. And here, all this time later, here's another Messianic Jewish guy coming to the nation. And something is being retrieved of a gifting that had been deposited back then. And as I'm taking off, I'm running through the streets and I feel the Spirit of God pouring out upon me and I feel an impartation coming and the Lord takes me to this passage of scripture and he says I'm bringing things full circle and there are things that God God planted into the nations that I've been preserved for such a time as this and I believe that the Lord is raising up an army he's raising up an end-time army of people that will run with the gospel They'll run with the good news. They will have fire in their feet. They will have strength in their legs. And they will not grow weary. But they will run and proclaim the word of the Lord. And so during this trip, I I entered into a fresh baptism of the fire of God. And it was expressed physically through running. Thank you. Lord. From that time on, when I would prepare to preach, I would begin to meditate on the passage of Scripture And then I would have to go out and hit the streets running. And physically as I ran, something was activated in my spirit and the word of God was stirred. And this connection between our whole being not being separate but all being intertwined and connected together, physically running, the Lord would stir and his word would begin to run swift on the inside. So Philip runs, he overtakes, he's invited up into the chariot. He reads from Isaiah this verse, and he asks, what does it mean, and how can I know if no no one explains it to me? And Philip immediately explains to him and speaks to him the good news about Jesus. Now, an evangelist can take any verse and turn it into the good news of Jesus. that's what Philip's doing is he's operating in this anointing. They're going down, and as they're going along, verse 36, along the road they come to some water, and the eunuch says, see here is water. Now what's the big deal about that? There's an exclamation mark. See here, there's water. The first beginning of this passage, in verse 26, we read the description, this is desert. Even to this day, the roads that go from Jerusalem down to Gaza is desert land. There's no bodies of water along those ancient roads. But God is moving supernaturally throughout this passage but it's for acceleration. It's for increase. It's to release new anointings so the gospel doesn't stay in one place that it moves out. It goes Jerusalem, Samaria, and then it's to go to an Ethiopian official that's going to take it back to his own nation. And this guy is looking, and he's reading the scriptures, and he's connecting Jesus to it, and he says, hey, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Two things here. One is that we we quickly moved to Philip, but what happened to that Ethiopian guy? He continued on his way with the word of God inside of him to go back to report to the queen all that had taken place in Jerusalem and that there was a baton that was passed that was taken back to the nation of Ethiopia. I believe, and we've seen this over the years, over 25 trips there and ministering over many years in Ethiopia, that there's a runner's anointing in the spirit in that place. I went there as a missionary and received an inheritance from that land. It's become a part of my life, and it's become a part of my message, and I just pray that there's a release of acceleration. There's a release of the anointing spirit, the the, the, the spirit, the running spirit of the anointing of the Lord here in this place today. And the other thing is that he goes from strength to strength. First, he's anointed to run, but he goes down, and from the supernatural experience, because he was faithful in Samaria, in the citywide revival, and he was faithful with the one in the desert, there's increase that's brought to him. So faithfulness will always lead to fruitfulness. Faithfulness will always lead to increase. And in this place, Philip, he goes from running under the anointing to overtake the king's chariot to a place where he's translated by the Spirit of God. He's found in Azotus from there and then it says he goes up Azotus is right next to the coast below Jaffa modern day Jaffa below modern day Tel Aviv and he works his way all the way up preaching the gospel throughout the towns and villages till he came to Caesarea or Caesarea however you pronounce it there was acceleration out of faithfulness there was increase This is the nature of the kingdom of God. This is the nature of how God moves when we give ourselves in faithfulness. We fulfill the mandate for fruitfulness in our life. But Philip found himself at Azotus and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Folks, this isn't just ancient biblical history. It's the same spirit it's the same Lord. It's the same one who's raising up, whether you're a deacon, apostle, an army that will move, that will operate in increase, that will operate in exponential growth. Years ago, I experienced this anointing run, anointed running. I have other stories that we don't have time to tell today on that, but I'm believing, why not translation? If it's for his glory, if it's for the increase of the gospel, if it's for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Wherever you're at in your life today, there's more. However you're positioned with, what other obstacles might seem in front of you, the Spirit of the Lord is making a way. He says, move from the mandate of fruitfulness in faithfulness to advancement, to increase, and to multiplication. If you stead your feet, I just want to speak a blessing and impartation of this this morning. Father, we thank you for the movement of the gospel. Father, we thank you. For the acceleration. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you always bring the increase of the kingdom through the lives of faithful men and women. And so, in this house of faithfulness, in this house of faith, with kingdom vision, Lord, I pray today increase. I declare advancement. Father, today I ask that you would activate where we have walked in strength, that we would run by the Spirit. And where we have run by the Spirit, that you would take us to the next level, that we were made for multiplication, for growth, for acceleration, and for advancement. I declare it in the mighty name of Yeshua, the mighty name of Jesus the Messiah. Father, I speak blessing, and I thank you that it's out of your nature to bless that you command increase. So we walk in the blessing and we respond in faithfulness.